When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to another episode of Zero Ducks Given a cricket podcast which combines a lot of nonsense with a little bit of cricket. And I'm joined, as always, by Stephen Finn and Daniel Norcross, who, as is ritual, has just lit an enormous cigarette. Uh, Let's start with Stephen Finn. Finney, we were just discussing before we started recording, you've been in the nets and you described yourself, and Norcross wasn't here for this, you described yourself batting in the nets in pre-season at your new county, Sussex, as a right-handed Matthew Hayden. Do you care to elaborate on that at all? Um, uh, no, not really, to be frank. But it was um, I've been striking them phenomenally well, actually. I haven't really picked up a bat since the 100 in July last year. And, um, and I've come back in the last week or so, hitting them like an absolute genius. So it's only really got one way to travel, which is south before the end of the season. But at the moment... If you were to throw me into a test match in the top order, I'd be um, making a good fist of it. Well, you're winning the England side at the minute. Uh, Norcross, a right-handed <laughs> Matthew Hayden, he described himself as. Yeah, um, that seems extraordinary. I mean, I'd quite like to wait for the Sue Gray report, really, to find out whether or not he <laughs> is or is not a right-handed Matthew Hayden. I find it hard to believe, but it. I mean, I suppose we'd get some kind of idea uh, if he could like face you at some point we've been promised this net for ages i just but now speak for all zero ducks given Mm. listeners when i say that all three of them yeah (laughs) yeah jack thank you thanks jack it's not a sign it's not a great sign of how big your podcast is when you can name them individually is it (laughs) hi jack if you're listening thanks mate (laughs) even my um even my parents (laughs) have given up on it now i'm not, not listening to that dross anymore (laughs) <laughs> yeah and I don't have any so unfortunately that reduces our listenership by two as well so yeah. we're, we're, we're absolutely screwed <laughs> yeah um, and my 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 dad is a cricket fan but I'm not going to explain how podcast works to him he's fucking useless with technology so that's not a great start to be honest with you now I, I do actually need to get into um, I think there's lots I need to talk about about Stephen Finn actually um, but first I'm going to come to you Norcross we'll come back to Finn in just a sec but new haircut I see there yeah. and you and you and you do I mean I say and you do it's the same same mm. style yeah. just just a bit shorter what, what how do you yeah. how would you describe that style actually well I I I describe it as as, as sort of easy listening really I mean it's mm. uh, the, 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 I had a, I had an absolutely bumper christmas I I got uh, four pairs of bamboo socks a pair of slippers and hair clippers which you know for a man of 52 
is more than you could really hope for. Mm. And uh, my wife, Catherine, uh, came at me with, with the clippers because apparently it was looking a bit shit at the back, which mm. is normally the catalyst for it. And so uh, what I tend to do is I, I put myself into a recycling bag, quite genuinely. I, um, I burst through the top of a recycling bag and use that. I do. Because, uh, you know, weirdly, our recycling bins, you just pour it straight into the bin. It's a communal bin. And yet they still give us the bags. But you can't use the bags for throwing away the rubbish. So what do you use it for? Use it for haircuts. So I, I drape myself in a recycling bin bag. And then Catherine... Um, shaves my head to the point at which I look slightly more acceptable uh, than a French foreign legioner. And uh, I, I reciprocate. I, I did Catherine's hair myself. I've done it three times in lockdown because she doesn't want to go to the hairdressers. And uh, the last time, she doesn't know, she's a vegetarian, but I accidentally used the uh, scissors I use for uh, taking the bacon off the grill, but I'd forgotten to wash them. So she had quite a bacony haircut. <laughs> <laughs> which made her even more fragrant and delicious than normal, I've got to say. Mercifully, <laughs> like Finney's parents, she doesn't listen to this podcast, so she'll never know. <laughs> <laughs> she's she's going to hear some horror stories if she ever decides to catch up on some old episodes. You won't do that. <laughs> I, a couple, couple of things. First of all, could you please, next time you're sticking your head through a recycling uh, bag and getting your hair cut, could you please... Make sure a photo of the occasion is taken that we can share with uh, Jack, our listener, on social media. But also, uh, I will not mock your process because I once, I once, when I was about 10 years old, I decided that uh, I wanted to look like H from Steps. You know, the <laughs> band Steps? You actually uh, do look a bit like H. Well, I do, but he had curtains and I didn't at the time. So what I did was I, I snuck into my parents' bedroom and I found my mum's toenail scissors and proceeded to just cut out the entire middle of my hair, thinking that that's how curtains work. You oh. just cut down the middle and leave the sides. And sadly, it turns out I didn't look much like H from Steps. Um, but many years later, <laughs> I remember when I moved into a flat of my own, I took those very same toenail scissors because I needed some for my flat. And there was a moment where I wanted to chop up some sausage, but I didn't have a knife. So I used my mum's toenail scissors. So those toenail scissors have had quite the existence. They've cut Ooh. my hair and cut up some sausage for some pasta I was making as well. And your mum's toenails. Yeah, and my mum's toenails. So it's a hell of a Venn diagram when you think the, about The only it. time I've ever seen my dad genuinely angry with my mum was um, when she varnished her when toenails. When she gave birth to you. No, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I do I do just about remember that as well, yeah. <laughs> no, it was it was when she um, she varnished her toenails on the front of the evening standard on the day that um England won the Headingley Test match and it was on the front page and he, and he he screamed at her, you you can't not on that you can't do it on that it's the only time I've ever seen him genuinely vexed with her like you know, and he was he was fifty five or fifty four at the time. To be fair, a strange outburst. I mean, I mean, even some of the patience of a saint would would lose their marbles at that. Uh, that brings it back nicely to cricket, actually, because we do need to discuss cricket at some point. Stephen Finn, you may have seen. There's a couple of things on social media that caught my attention over the last week. The first one is Finney has been posting all these sort of sexy videos of him bowling indoors in the nets and the ball romantically fudding into the back net and it all looks very impressive and I've constantly been you know 
commenting underneath the videos, telling him, don't bowl there to me. And that one's going over the rope, son, and all this. Finney, I'm watching these, you know, videos you're posting of you bowling indoors. And it all looks very impressive, mate. But you do realise you're completely wasting your time. We've been talking about county cricket and county pitches for the last few weeks on this podcast. Tim Murta, Darren Stevens, they take all the wickets. Your sexy back of a length, you do realise it's completely useless and a complete waste of your time, don't you? Yeah, I'm just practising slamming it in halfway down for when I bowl against you, to be quite honest. I think the county season is a, is a secondary thing when it comes to the next few months or so. It's, it's very much just gearing up to try and hit you, I'd say, first of all, in the sternum, <laughs> then maybe the ribs. And then if you're not walking out the net crying, I'll probably try and hit you in the head. So, um, so yeah... That's all I'm practicing for at the moment. I genuinely thought when he started with Sternum, I genuinely thought he was just going to go through every single bone in your body from that point up. <laughs> That'd have been a great <laughs> 45 doing, minutes. He's, he's doing a kind of day, yeah, 40 doing David Lloyd commentary. Yeah, well, you you can hit him in the sternum, and then you can hit him in the you know the ninth rib or the eighth rib, or or maybe the collarbone, or the jaw, the lower mandible, uh, or the upper uh, mandible for that matter, the nose. Sorry. Sorry, I didn't realise Bumble was from Jamaica. That was quite, that's yeah. quite impressive. It's quite an impressive Michael Holding impression you've got going on there, Norcross. Well done. Uh, Finney, why don't you, if, if that's the case, why don't you print off a photo of my beautiful face and, you know, maybe put it on like a little target inside the net just so you know, sort of, just so you've got something to aim at, something to get you pumped mm. up and fiery. I feel like printing a picture of your face off a printer might, might break it or something on the way through. You could get one of um, of H from Steps, maybe. maybe uh, uh, I actually saw H from Steps. <laughs> of I course, saw you him did. When I was um, when I was working for the BBC in Manchester, you stay in the Holiday Inn, which is a, a wonderfully um, wonderfully luxurious hotel that mm. that you're um, you have the pleasure of staying in when you work for the BBC in Manchester. And checking in alongside me was H from Steps. He still had curtains, I think. Great. Um, and he had Louis Vuitton luggage as well, so he, he's not struggling. And he had a pair, <laughs> of, around, he had a pair of toenail toenail scissors as well, didn't he? Just yeah. to, you know, just because that's how he makes the haircut work. Yeah. And I've... sausage pasta in a Tupperware box. I don't know <laughs> what's going on. <laughs> I, f- I think Steps had a resurgence, didn't they? Put I think they put out a single in the last couple of years. No wonder he's got Louis Vuitton bags. I reckon. I think they had a bit of a comeback. I mean, clearly wasn't that memorable, seeing as none of us here can remember it. But still. That explains the Louis Vuitton bags. Um, however, speaking of, you know, rolling in it and doing all right for themselves, Stephen Finn, you may have seen this week on Instagram, the influencer that is Stephen Finn. I mean, move over Kim Kardashian. There's a new influencer in town because Stephen Finn is now the proud face or bottom, I guess, of step one life underwear. And Finney gave his uh, glowing review on his Instagram account. And he said, super comfortable and sustainable. Uh, and it's, a, it's a paid partnership, which means Finney is, is, is making some sweet, sweet cheddar off of this. Finney, the face of step one. I guess you can't whinge about not being paid anymore. You must be absolutely loaded, mate. Yeah, I mean, obviously it was nothing to do with this podcast that, um, that got me the money that was... Um, that's being paid for that. No, it's just a pure love for the brand, I think. And mm. having walked through a shop one day and seen them there and tried them and mm. done my research about sorry, how hang on. What? Sorry, you tried on underwear. 
You tried on underwear in a shop. What? No one ever tries on underwear in a shop. tries on underwear in a shop. No, hang on a minute. I had a little male G-string on underneath so that my um, my bits didn't touch the material of the underwear. Yeah, but um, I carry around a male G-string with me all the time to try (laughs) underwear on in shops. Who are you? Magic Mike? Got a G-string in his bag at all times. Yeah, leather as well. This is an absolute unbelievable revelation. I didn't know it was possible to try on pants before you actually buy them. I mean, <laughs> yeah, surely you've got to buy them at that point. You can't yeah. just go, no thanks, I'll, I'll put these back on the rack. <laughs> uh, yeah, good point. Um, I'll probably have to revise that when it comes to uh, bullshitting about something again. Um, no, I, um, yeah, I, I had tried them out and worn them and I was impressed with what I felt and saw. So I, um, I deemed it necessary to provide everyone with a video review of, um, of what I thought about the underwear. I mean, that's quite an interesting point though, because I don't think men think enough really about underwear. I mean, I speak personally now and I've just been wearing uh, quite loose fitting boxer shorts since I was, I would say Why? 17. Well, I don't know, you see, and this is a very good point because I imagine that there is a better form of underwear out there that might give, I don't know, support for the testicles. I mean, is that is that what's key? Well, is, that, is that what it is? Well, these pants actually have a three D pouch to um to cup your parts as they're um as they're sat there gently blowing in the wind or you know, gently hanging around your knees in your case. Mm-hmm. So I think um yeah, it's got everything. It's got a three D pouch that tucks everything in. It's very comfortable and it's also um, also very flattering as well. It makes you um, makes you look slightly better endowed than you actually are. So uh, I'd recommend yeah. it, especially for well, you. Only, only, only if people are seeing you wandering around in your pants, though. Yeah, I've seen those little legs. They might be even skinnier than Nor- than, uh, than Toby's, actually. So <laughs> little little stick things. Oh, yeah. it was the one one of the things that was so apparent from our. Um, stay that we did in the um in the booking.com winnebago thing i don't know what it was but a lovely lovely winnebago by the yeah, way lovely yeah the one, that toby, Thank you, the one that toby didn't yeah didn't shut up about for about three weeks so. the one thing i did notice on that shoot was just how incredibly feeble your legs are my oh. legs yeah yes yes i do i have i have long slender uh delicious and beautiful legs that look great in a pair of stockings mm-hmm. um but I, as you also say, have pendulous testicles. And so I am interested in a form of underwear mm. that might support them a bit. Because at the moment, they are sort of like flapping around halfway down my thighs. And mm. uh, it does create chafing and occasional blistering. I'd imagine well, the good thing like... now is, sorry, Toby, the, the good thing now is that you're paid so much by BT Sport mm. that, um, that you can actually walk down to the shops and buy your own underwear. You, well, you're not getting any begging off me. No way, well, I'll give I, you the I, link. Yeah, I mean... To be honest, and I won't even get you a discount code. I'll, um, I'm going to make you pay full price for it. Yeah, you don't need to worry. But you don't need to. You don't need to worry about money. I'm, I'm obviously fine. I, I actually would quite like to get my pants hand tailored. <laughs> <laughs> That's how much money you've got now. You want to have bespoke underwear tailored to your specifications? Is that what you're telling me? Because you did two test matches for BT Sport. <laughs> three, to be quite clear. Sorry, three <laughs> test matches. <for> BT Sport. <laughs> Because literally there was nobody else available. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Look, it doesn't, doesn't matter. Just, if you're in the right place at the right time, you know, there's been a lot of pirates and plunderers out there. To be fair, what does it say about me? Very that, good at it. They still didn't come to me. So, yeah, fair point. Good point well made, to be fair. Now, let, we should probably talk about other cricket at some point. And let's start with England versus the West Indies. 
their brilliant, I have to say, T20 series that went down to the fifth and final game. And the West Indies saw England off. They won by 17 runs, thanks in part to an unbelievable four wickets in a row from Jason Holder to put the game to bed. And uh, it was fitting for Jason Holder, who bowled superbly throughout the entire series. Now, I put a tweet out almost immediately when the West Indies won, because even as a diehard England fan, if you're going to lose to somebody, you kind of want to lose to the West Indies in Barbados because their reaction was brilliant. The crowd's reaction was brilliant. It was just quite a wholesome viewing watching Jason Holder take those four wickets in the West Indies win that match. And we discussed South Africa as well in the last few weeks. Their amazing results against India. Finney, is it good for cricket internationally? We talk about Australia, England and India all the time. But ultimately, we need a strong South Africa and we need a strong West Indies to keep cricket sexy and keep cricket entertaining. And there's no sexier and more entertaining nation than West Indies, surely. No, yeah, yeah, certainly. It's, um, that's why this test series in a couple of weeks is going to be fascinating because England off the back of their ashes and the changes that they may or may not make going into that series against the West Indies in home conditions. It's a long time since England have won a series in the West Indies. I'm not sure of the exact numbers, but it, it has been an incredibly long time. So, yeah, it's going to be a tough first first game post-Ashes for England. But it's definitely something that you want to see. You want to see West Indies producing fast bowlers, exciting batsmen to take the game. And, and we certainly saw a few of those from them in this T20 series. But also, yeah, for the good of the game, to see them challenging the supposed big three of England, Australia and India, I think is important for the integrity and, um, and the competition of the game going forward. Um, Norcross, it was an exciting West Indies side, as Finney touched on there. A young, sexy, exciting side. Uh, a few names that, you know, we haven't seen a lot of. Is it, I mean, looking back, it was absolute madness that the West Indies at the T20 World Cup wheeled out Chris Gale and Bravo. Ravi Rampal. Ravi Rampal. <laughs> Uh, basically just because they thought that's what people want. There's nothing more West Indian than that. And uh, you look at these players that have been waiting in the wings behind those guys now, it just makes you wonder, what on earth were they doing? Well, there were so many things, weren't there? There, there? there was that throughout. I mean, they didn't even put Kyle Mayers in until the last two games. That was quite strange. And then they had no real idea how brilliant they were themselves. So in that game, uh, when they got within one run of England. And this has not been commented on very much at all, but uh, Romario Shepard and Akil Hussain began the partnership at 97 for eight. And Romario Shepard turned down a run in order to protect Akil Hussain, who proceeded to hit 44 off 20 odd balls with four sixes. And the West Indies lost by one run. The one run that Romario Shepard decided he wasn't going to take because he thought he had to protect Akil Hussain. Um, they, they've got some fantastically exciting ball strikers, definitely. Obviously, England are going to look at that and think that they didn't bowl terribly well in the last few overs of each match. They've got the highest economy rate of any of the T20-ranked countries uh, in the death overs, um, and that's been happening for quite a while. I don't, I don't think it's really because the death bowlers are bad, I think, they're trying to do the right things, but not always getting it right. But I think England do have a bit of a problem without 
Joffre Archer because there isn't a natural death bowler and they don't do the things that other countries do do. You know, you see a lot of variety from even the West Indies, uh, young players who'd only just come into the side were trying to come round the wicket and bowl wide Yorkers to the right-handers. And England's bowlers are not really at that stage. They don't really try those kind of different variations, which I don't think is terribly helpful. But it was a terrific series. And one of the things I really liked about it was it was a five-match T20 series. And we go on about five-match test series and go on about how it means that players get to know each other and you get these match-ups between bowlers and batters. Well, in T20s, you get that as well. And you get it really quickly. And it's really quite fun. And one of the great things about this series was that there were five matches played at Barbados and all the pitches were slightly different from each other. So it was like playing a five-match series but touring a country. And then you started to see certain match-ups happen, you know, and, and sides work out players as it went on. And I thought it was really good, actually. It was a really interesting series. Um, England pulled off the most dominant one-run victory that you will ever see in your life. Jason Holder was absolutely magnificent. How was he not even in the West Indies squad for the World T20 to start with? Which tells you something about West Indies selection policy. <laughs> and, uh, and England will also be quite pleased that the emergence of certain players, you know, a little bit of Tom Banton, a little bit of Phil Salt. It means that you know, they've seen what Liam Livingston can do with a ball again. So that turned into the weirdest version of Mambo number five I've ever heard in my life yeah. there, as you went through a little, a little bit of Tom bit Banton. Of Livingston in my line up. A little <laughs> bit of Salt, a little bit of Banton. Banton, actually, yeah. Uh, although no, I, don't, I don't remember the Cookie Monster singing Mambo number five. Thank you, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that. Lovely. I suddenly, suddenly, suddenly had Pato Banton in my head, but that, that's uh, that, that's a whole new thing. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, I thought it was absolutely bloody brilliant and uh, really, really enjoyed it, uh, despite the fact that England were basically playing their Carabao Cup eleven, weren't they? Because yeah. they were missing, you know, like four or five crucial players, but they had six, seven players who would be at that side, and it was just re- it was really good fun. Yeah, um, but I, whilst at I, the same time being completely forgettable. I will probably forget it within a fortnight, but it was fun while it was on. That's just because of your age more than anything. That's, a bit not, of that. that's not a yeah, reflection a on the series. Uh, the other name you forgot to mention was old Reese Topley. Uh, didn't do his reputation oh. any harm as well in the series. He bowled brilliantly. Um, it's a weird one. I was looking, there's lots of stats flying around. And basically, statistically, England are the worst deaf bowling side pretty much in the world. In, 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 the, history in the, yeah. the history of the world. In the history of the world. Mills, Jordan, Mahmood, uh, Garton, when he played, all got some stick towards the end of the innings. In fact, only Reese Topley really protected his figures a little bit towards the end. It's a bit of a double-edged sword because on the one hand, England often set so many bloody runs that it means that in return, their bowlers don't ha- come out to bowl knowing that the batsmen are going to come at them from ball one. So it's a bit of a double-edged sword and maybe that's something to do with that statistic. Um, but interestingly, friend of the podcast who was on one of the early episodes, Harry Gurney was talking about Owen Morgan's captaincy this week. And he said, Owen Morgan has always neglected deaf bowling. He says that it's been a concern of mine about England for a number of years. He says, Owen Morgan has undoubtedly been a wonderful captain and leader for England and taken that white ball team to heights we could only have dreamt of. But one thing he has always neglected has been the deaf bowling. He says instead, Morgan is much more interested in wicket-taking bowlers that take wicket at the start of the innings. It is a real problem. And we saw it in the 2020 World Cup, Finney. I mean, when, when you look at the England bowlers, Jordan's, 
Jordan's not quite there at the minute. When you're missing Yorkers by a few inches, it suddenly becomes a, a half volley. Um, what are they doing wrong? And what could they be doing better as a unit? And it's not just the guys that played in this series, but over the last few years, all the bowlers that have been tried in white ball cricket. Oh, well, I, yeah, I don't know if that's a fair assessment that Owen Morgan neglects death bowling. I think, obviously, he favours trying to take wickets all the way through the innings and to get yourself ahead of the game. So if there's an option for someone to bowl a defensive over in the 18th or 19th over, or whether there's an option to try and take a wicket or two wickets in those overs, he'll always favour, I think, trying to take a wicket to make the job at the back end easier. And that has served England well on a number of occasions. So, so yeah, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't quite agree with that statement. Um, but I think part of death bowling is that it's not prescriptive. It's very much dependent on conditions, boundary sizes, um, the wind. There's been a lot of wind in the Caribbean. Um, they're quite windy grounds over there in general from memory when I've played there. So you're always defending a side that has a wind that's aiding the hitting one way and neglecting the, the other way. So, yeah, I think a lot of death bowling is about being smart and being able to read the conditions. Have England done that um, often enough? But then you could question that, I suppose, whether the plans have been right. But yeah, the death bowling now isn't coming, isn't as prescriptive as just bowl Yorkers and, and that's that because people can hit those now. And there aren't that many guys who can actually just bowl amazing Yorkers the entire time. They just, they're, they're, no one in the world really can. No, and there's so many you can hit those. Yorker now can be hit 360 degrees around the pitch as well. Uh, what about Adil Rashid? I was, I was watching some of the games and thinking he's so good. He's so good. And the fast bowlers were going around the park at the death. And I thought, I'd back Rashid bowling a 18th, 20th over all day, all day long. I think he'd almost be harder to get away than any of those fast bowlers. Or would that be a mistake, do you think, Finney, taking away one of his overs in the middle where he's so dangerous? Oh, uh, yeah. I think you have to balance that up whilst you're out there. I think on those wickets, they, they did seem to change a lot, didn't they? Even though they were at the same ground, they did change a lot. But um, he got significant spin all the way through the series. And if a wicket is... Uh, coming off the if the ball is coming off the pitch a, a couple of different paces um and you've got someone who can spin it away from the bat against the lower order then then yeah it, it wouldn't be a bad option but i do think his value and his overriding value is to be able to take wickets and stifle the opposition through those middle overs in, in the last match of that series england spinners bowled 10 overs for 54 and the seamers 10 overs done for 122. And it's definitely true that the seamers bowled most of those overs at the beginning and at the end. And the spinners, the spinners bowled nine overs non-stop from overs seven to 15. And in that time, it, it stifled. And people look at that and think, well, why didn't Murray bowl one more over? Or why didn't Livingston bowl one more over? And the thing is that, that it looks like that. But also, if you've watched these games often enough, you kind of know that if Livingston had bowled the 16th or 17th over, it would probably have got smashed to all parts. You know, you just that is just what does happen. And I don't quite know why, but it, but it is what it is. And what England have got to do is get a bit better at the beginning because they didn't bowl well in the power play as well. I mean, there's, there's no way they should have got 58 in the power play. They just kept on feeding Carl Mayers by bowling too short and being pumped over deep square and deep mid-wicket. And at the end, they missed the lengths that they were trying for. That, that's all it was, really. But 
broadly speaking, I'd say that England are in decent shape. West Indies is in decent shape. Decent series. Good fun. Yeah, it was it was great fun, and the West it's always fun with the West Indies were involved, as I said at the start. Uh, now let's move on to the most exciting bit of cricket of the week: the unbelievable Test match between the England women and the Australian women in the Washes, as we're calling it. And uh, if you've been living under a rock and you didn't see the climax to this amazing Test match, with basically half an hour to go, England looked like they were going to coast home. Then it all changed very, very quickly. And as we got down to the last few overs of the four-day test match, heavily disrupted by rain, I should add, really all three results were possible. In the end, Kate Cross, who's had an amazing 12 months or so in an England shirt, um, was the hero once again, surviving 12 balls. She was one not out as England managed to get out of the test with a draw. And it was an amazing bit of drama and one of the best test matches I've ever seen, men or women. It was an absolutely unbelievable test match. Um now, Australia allowed it to be that exciting with a very brave and bold declaration. Now, I was really torn on this because fair play to Australia, first of all. They declared they didn't have to at all in the overall series, the way that it works. They've got plenty of points in the bag already from the uh, T20 series and just the one day is to go. They could have easily let the game just peter out, take their comfortable points, and head into the one day as very, very comfortable in the women's ashes. But they didn't. They made a game of it. Meg Lanning decided to declare and, and dangle the carrot for England, if you like. Now, Norcross, that declaration, although brilliant and led to the amazing finale that we saw, how much of that was due to, and I don't think that this sort of external pressure should be on a captain, how much of that was due to Meg Lanning looking at the bigger picture of women's cricket and women's test cricket and thinking, if we want to play more test matches, this game petering out does nothing for the does nothing for our chances. Or am yeah. I am I overthinking it? Yeah, you are overthinking it. I think a very, very, very tiny amount was that actually, because if they'd been thinking like that, they would have gone harder earlier. What they say that let's be really clear, it looks like, doesn't it, from a man's point of view, two hundred and fifty-seven or forty-eight overs. That's that's giving a chance in a test match which they don't need to. Well, two things on that. Never has 257 been chased, let alone in 48 overs in a women's test match. Nothing like it. So what England did was phenomenal to get anywhere near it. It was unique. It was extraordinary. And that's what made it brilliant. And secondly, England was set 270 and 75 overs by New Zealand at Lords this year and never bothered the men's team, never bothered going anywhere near it. So I don't think, actually, that Meg Lanning's declaration was particularly generous. Um, it was, well, far from it, because had she lost, it would have been unique, extraordinary, and we'd be talking about it forever. What happened was that England's batters batted absolutely brilliantly, absolutely brilliantly, and nearly got there. And yes, the disappointment and the ang- anguish is that with the winning post in sight, they didn't knock it about and pick up ones and twos. These are women who haven't played any first-class cricket. Some of the people playing in that game, that was their first-class debut. They'd never played. Never played a four-day game. Never played a three-day game. That That's the issue that you've got to be looking at. And yet, they still conjured up one of the most magnificent spectacles of cricket. Anybody watching it, it was, it was mind-bogglingly fantastic. 
And Heather Knight's response at the end was heartbreaking, really, because she knew how close the team were to pulling off something really, really extraordinary. But, you know, she's still going to feel like that. Of course she is, and she'd be right to feel like that because she's the captain of that team. But she doesn't need to for the wider public because what what they laid on, 450-odd runs on the last day, with barely a contrivance was uh, just unique sporting brilliance that day. And uh, I, I loved every single minute of it. And yes, from an England point of view, it's a shame they didn't quite get over the line. From an Australian point of view, it's a shame they didn't get over the line because of Beth Mooney. She broke her jaw a yeah. week and a half before. And she took a diving catch low down, two-handed, which has you know, got a lot of jaw jeopardy all over it. It was an unbelievably brave, but she didn't, wasn't even thinking about it. She had to catch that fucking ball. You know, that was the intensity and the level that these people were playing at. It was beautiful to watch. It was fantastic drama. It certainly um, was. I loved every minute of it. Yeah, it was. It was an amazing test match. It really was, and uh, and a great advert for for the women's test matches going forward. Uh, Philly, just very quickly because we're, we're running out of time. But um, as Dan touched it there, some of those some of those women making their first class debut in an Ashes test match. When, when you cast your mind back to all those many, 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 many years ago, but when you first when you first started playing games that went on for a few days, when you first start, started coming through the Middlesex Academy and stuff, how alien was that feeling of, you know, you start off playing club cricket when you're a kid and it's all done in a, in a few hours, that sort of going to bed overnight and coming back to a game the next day and how hard was it to adapt to that as a bowler? Oh, yeah, I, you, know, you wake up thinking, what, what on earth am I doing here? Why am I doing this to my body? Because <laughs> that next day where you have to pull up and bowl again or you bowl 20 overs and you have to wake up the following morning and bowl the first ball at 11, it's, um, it can be a bit tricky and certainly something that's alien. So, yeah, it's more just getting in the rhythm of that and, and they spent a decent amount of time in the field, didn't they, especially on that first day. So. Um, it meant that that next day you're a bit stiff and sore and um, and had a lot to, you, know, you need to do everything you can to help yourself be um, be as fresh as you can the following day, but nothing really prepares you for it. You can do as much fitness and as many shuttles and as many net sessions as you want, but nothing replicates that first day in the field. So I felt for the girls with them having to do that in a test match and especially if that's the first time you've ever done it it would have felt bizarre it blows my mind when I watch test matches because normally we play once on a Saturday as a club cricketer then you'll get drunk in the clubhouse and then you wake up on Sunday and you're so hungover and you can't move and I'm like the thought of running in and bowling again now for another four days is absolutely ridiculous now finally Norcross the good news off the back of that test match is that England are set to play a women's test against South Africa Woo-hoo. this summer which is awesome because at the end of that unbelievable test match there was not a single organised women's international test match anywhere in the world to look forward to. Um, fortunately, some sense has been seen and England are going to host the South African women's team this summer. One thing on this, because we all completely agree, first of all, that there needs to be more women's test matches. Secondly, that we'd like to see five-day-long test matches as well. Um, in the interest of playing devil's advocate here, the only thing I was thinking watching that England versus Australia test match is... Is there a balance to be made here? Because part of the excitement around that test match was that they are so rare. Does that make any sense to you at yeah. all? I was watching that going, this is absolutely amazing. 
But would I be as hooked and drawn on it? Okay, I would have by the end, of course. But throughout the four days, if the women were playing like the men, 14, 15, 16, 17 test matches a year. Yeah, I don't think that's a question you need to ask yourself because, you know, England men's test cricket does not ask itself the question, should test cricket stop? Because there's been a lot of tests this year mm. and a few of them have been a bit crap. Um, the, the fact is that test matches played by women can produce unbelievably brilliant drama. And we got a reminder of that this week. So it should just be happening as standard. And to me, the very simplest way of doing it, because there are some problems, you know, the Sri Lankan board, probably, I don't want to speak for them, but the Sri Lankan board, the New Zealand board, maybe the West Indies board, aren't that keen on scheduling test matches. But if England and Australia can play an Ashes series in this format, three ODIs, three T20s in a test match, why don't they just, every time they invite a touring side to come and play in their own countries, go, should we do it the same way? Three ODIs, a test match, three T20s, and standardise it. And not every country will do that reciprocally. They won't necessarily do it in their own countries. West Indies might not want to schedule that. But if, when you go to England, that's what you do, and when you go to Australia, that's what you do, then other sides will then end up playing test matches, and they'll end up playing these multi-format series that make some kind of sense. And, you know, men's cricket has developed organically from 1877. We've had three-day tests, we've had five-day tests, four-day tests, timeless tests. We've had one-day cricket come in, and we've had no league structures. We've had T20 turn up. It's all bilateral nonsense. They make some World Cups. It's all bollocks. The women actually have an opportunity to say, right, what if we host two nations every summer and, you know, we play home and away, two teams. And every time we play, we play Ashes series format, wherever you go as standard. And before you know it, women's cricket will look a damn sight more sensible than men's cricket because we'll actually know how they're all getting on against each other. And you know what? We could put it into a league table and we could see who's best like they do in every other team sport <laughs> in the world, that is, <laughs> rather that is, than the random ICC rankings that no one can understand that go to 14 decimal bloody places. That is honestly, of all the things trying to explain to my uh, my much better half Pippa whenever I'm watching cricket on TV, she's like, so what tournament is this? And I'm like, it's not really a tournament. They sort of just play each other every now and then. Uh, it's kind of just about bragging rights until you next play them. I mean, the system is is pretty bonkers. Um, and on that note, um, the three of us will say goodbye, but I'm very excited to say that you are going to hear a bit more from Daniel Norcross because basically I'll let you have a little peep. That's not me. what you're excited about, Toby. I'm excited <laughs> about the fact that I'm going to bed is what I'm very, very excited <laughs> about because it is currently coming up to 11 o'clock here. But we are lucky enough that Dan Norcross, bless him, is going to drag his sorry body and his spindly legs out of bed because we have got a very exclusive chat with Sophia Dunkley after that amazing test match. Finney, because he's the star of the show, is going to stay in bed. I've got to do my day job. So Daniel Norcross is going to drag himself out of bed and he's going to be chatting to Sophia Dunkley in the morning. So what you're about to hear next is Norcross's chat with Sophia Dunkley. So Norcross, <laughs> don't embarrass us. Um, you're representing Zero Dots Given. Um, I know she's a Surrey player, but try and maintain some sense of 
perspective and cool and calmness. And Finney, I'm, I'll let you go, but I'll keep an eye on your Instagram this week to see what you're plugging next. Probably teeth whiteners or socks or God knows what. But either way, I look, shout, forward, I look forward to seeing where you make your money next, mate. <laughs> Somebody's got to pay you. Uh, Finney, Norcross, lovely to see you. I'll speak to you next week. And Norcross, have a lovely chat with Sophia Duncan. I look forward to listening to it back. And uh, yeah, just don't embarrass yourself or us too much, please, mate. No, well, let's see how he goes. I am delighted to say that at not a particularly ungodly hour of the morning, we have joining us on Zero Ducks, given for the first time a star of that incredible test match the other day, Sophia Dunkley. Dunks. I, I, if it's about nine o'clock in the evening where you are. You're looking quite perky. Um, yeah. Um. <laughs> now, obviously, what, what I want to get down to here is, do, do you guys have any idea just how incredible that test match was and how it was perceived over here? Because, honestly, I've never seen Twitter light up like this, not even for men's test matches against Australia, because you, you, I'm afraid you wrung every last drop of emotion out of everybody back here at about... 6.30 in the morning, which is not easy. Yeah, I, I think sitting in the dugout when we were th- had three wickets left and I just got out and uh, I can't remember how many of us were, four or five of us left, was definitely emotionally draining and emotional roller coaster. But I, I think, you know, always with these things, when you're in the moment and you're in the game, I suppose you probably don't really realise what's happened until afterwards. And I think it's when I was batting, it was much more, I was much calmer than I was on the sideline. Um, which is always a weird, well, weird feeling, but yeah, I did. I did. My mum texted me and said, "Oh my god, what a game!" Like and all this stuff. And then, yeah, I guess I didn't really realise how how much an impact it did have um, for people watching. So, yeah, it was it was kind of weird to come off and see that. Well, the, f- the first thing that happened was, of course, everybody said, "Well, that's by far and away the best game of cricket we've seen in Australia this winter," which was an inevitable reaction. Uh, but the other one was, "Give us more Test matches," uh, because. I mean, you know, people have been saying that that might be, it's hard to know in the 1930s, you don't have footage and what have you, but that that could be ranked up there as one of the greatest women's test matches that's ever taken place. Do you think this is going to kickstart a test match revolution? Are we going to get lots more of these now? Well, I definitely hope so, because although obviously we, we were gutted not to get the win, I think it was, you know, an experience that everyone absolutely loved. And and I think we, we really showed how far the women's games come in the last few years and, and you know how that, that that people are actually really really loving watching us play, which is really nice. And I think you know obviously Heather's outstanding knock, Catherine's bowling. You know a lot of the Aussie girls had some really good performances as well. So I think altogether it just produced something which was which was really special. And and yeah, I hope that is a, an an amazing advertisement for hopefully more Test matches in the future, which more people want to to watch and see. Tell us about the chase because. You know, 257, wasn't it, off 48 overs? I mean, for a start, it was going to be the highest chase in a test match ever. <laughs> and then you only had 48 overs to do it in. So was there any doubt at all that you were going to go for it? Or was it a sort of like, we'll wait and see, see where we are after 10, 15 overs? What, what, was, what was the planning? Um, I think we had, so Lauren and Tammy went in and we had about seven or eight overs before tea with the new ball. So I think... You know, the chat was kind of like, let's just, you guys go in and, and see where we're at at tea and, and see how you get through the new ball and then kind of go after that. And I think a couple of us were watching the change room on the TV um, and, you know, Tammy just started just hitting all these fours coming down the wicket and we we're like, all oh, right, like Tammy's on here, like we're on. And we kind of just, 
I think she really kind of set the tone for the inning because she just wasn't she didn't hold back and I think she played really really well and and just showed the kind of style I wanted to play and I think when Tammy and Lawrence got out they kind of set it up for where he wanted to go and I think it set a really good platform for for Heather and Nat to go in and I think to be honest I think it just kind of it just kind of happened I think the way that everyone went in and played it just kind of the game kind of progressed itself and obviously we did want to go out there and, and, and try and win but obviously we knew it wasn't going to be easy or straightforward so yeah I, I honestly I think it kind of just happened itself with but yeah we definitely had good intentions of, of wanting to try and go out there and win it for sure. Well when you went out then the, the tempo got upped again I, I think I'm right in saying that um, since a history of a ball by ball record you're the first woman in recorded test history to hit consecutive sixes there was the, that. It's incredible, that, isn't it? Um, there was the no the no look pull followed by yeah. the whack over long on. <laughs> At that stage, you'd just put the afterburners on. Had you you gone right? We've we've just got to go go big here. Well, I think when I was next in, I did chat to to Lisa just to say, oh, you know, I was you know obviously this situation is something that I've never experienced before. I don't know if a lot of the girls had, which is my my second test match. So I just wanted to make sure I was like going in that I knew what we were trying to achieve and I think um, if we were just going at sixes now it would have kind of left us pretty with a steady chase for the last 10 over I think so we we're kind of just trying to keep up with the rate as well and then going in I think my my kind of strong options were kind of on with the field up and and for me I thought I can make the most of that because you know generally in test match bowling you're bowling in the same area you're bowling your best ball and you kind of know where that's going to be so I, I was trying to take advantage of that really and and hit over the field when it was out. So I knew at any point they could put how many fields out that they wanted to. So, yeah, I just kind of saw it as an opportunity to score, really, and, and get going. And, yeah, it kind of worked for, for the time that I was in. I mean, what, what's really noticeable to me there is you, you, you talk absolutely knowledgeably about what you're expecting the Test Match ball to do. But you've played, what, one Test Match? And how mm-hmm. many multi-day red ball games of cricket have you played in your career? Before that Test Match, I think it was two. <laughs> But they were three years apart as well. I mean, that's extraordinary, though. I, mean, I think it's something that a lot of the people watching at home were, were trying to get their heads around because, you know, as you got closer and closer to the target, there were some people who watched a lot of test cricket say, no, no, just push it around, push it around again. From, from where I was sitting, I was watching people learn on the job and yet still create one of the most thrilling spectacles we could wish to see. It is kind of like learning the job, I guess. Definitely in my first test match, for sure, because... That was obviously the first one I ever played. And I think, I guess the last one was a little bit more like a 50-over game, obviously, because of the amount of overs. But I do think the kind of intricacy to test cricket also came in because there's obviously no wides. You can bowl more bounces, the fielding restrictions. So although you still have kind of the same amount of overs, all those things do play a part. Because obviously, you know, if they wanted to, they could put everyone out on the boundary and that would mean we're looking at twos more and, and all those different kind of things. So I did, yes. I kind of had to just call on the experience that I've had generally in, in 50 over cricket, I guess, and and those kind of run chases and, and adapt it where, where I thought I should. Uh, now, Catherine, run before the start of the game, said some, I mean, not particularly controversial things, actually, but suggested that test cricket can be pretty boring, um, <laughs> which, I mean, that aged well, didn't it? Um, but I think what she was sort of referring to uh, is the pitches that, that predominantly women have been playing on. You know, I've seen the test matches at Wormsley, which weren't the greatest advert because the pitch was sort of slow and low. And even Bristol last year, which was a good a good game, but just needed a bit more zip. The, the pitch 
that you played this test match on was perfect, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly what you said. I think Bristol, there wasn't a lot in it for the bowlers, really, and, and they really had to work hard to, to find the wickets. But I think, yeah, definitely this Canberra wicket, it had a lot in it for the seamers, kind of early doors. And then um, Spin came in to play a lot, especially in our second bowling innings. Um, and Alana King was was absolutely ragging it as well at some parts. So I think, yeah, it played into everyone's hands. And, and to us, I was kind of going into bat, I was... You know, I was thinking, oh, I might do a lot here and it might be quite hard to score. But somehow it, uh, I didn't find it too difficult to get in on, which was which was good. But yeah, I definitely I think it was a great, a great wicket for for a test match. And yeah, it just showed what a game could be created with, with facility like that. Now, tell me about the fifth day, because there's been a lot of lot of anger, righteous anger on Twitter over here. Why don't the women get a fifth day? You're, you're asked to bowl 100 overs a day instead. So it seems to me you get the worst of both worlds. You have four days and you have to work much harder on each of them. Is is mm-hmm. a simple thing here to have a fifth day. I mean, then there wouldn't have been the contrivance of the declaration. England might have had a whole day to to knock off our 340 instead. Yeah, I do think, well, for me, I guess my knowledge about four-day tests isn't particularly expansive. Uh, I mean, obviously followed it in the women's game and things, but I do... I suppose there's pros and cons to either, but I definitely think five days obviously gives more chance of a result, which is what you want to see and what the teams want. And and yeah, and I think especially in Ashes in an Ashes Test match where for us, you know, those four points are pretty much are very vital to to, to what happens. Um, but yeah, I suppose you know the other game was show that we could get a result in potentially in four days, which is also positive. But I don't think that yeah, a five day Test match, I think. Everyone would would enjoy that, and I think it really does. Really would then there would you would see more results, and it would make Test match cricket more exciting to the women. So, yeah. But again, four days show that we could do that as well. So it's it's hard to know, really. It's hard to know, but yeah, I'm sure five day Test matches would, would go down really well. And what we need is more of them. I, mean, I, I called on Twitter for just every series that England hosts at home, and the same for Australia, just to run with the Ashes format. I mean, if it works in the Ashes, why wouldn't it work with, you know, say South Africa coming over or New Zealand, West Indies or whoever? Yeah, definitely. I, I, I completely agree. And I think, you know, there's a lot of nations out there that would that would love to play more Test cricket. You know, we're lucky enough to play more of it due to the Ashes. And I think a lot of countries kind of miss out on that. So I think the opportunity in the women's game would be amazing because it is, you know, it's, I guess, the traditional part of the game and, and, and the game that you kind of grow up watching as well. And I'm sure there's a lot of international cricketers desperate out there to play more test cricket and to experience it. So, yeah, I, I agree. It would, it would be great to see a lot more kind of series and a lot like different internationals play against each other for sure. But what comes through to me here in this conversation is just how much that game meant, you know, what test cricket means. And it, it came through in Heather's post-match interviews, um, both on TV and with Penny Moran on BBC, and, and I've seen her a bit like that once before at Canterbury when England collapsed to Elise Perry and the Ashes were lost. But this was even stronger, it seemed to me, in a, in a game that you guys drew. Um, what, what was the feeling at the end there? It must have been so confusing because you hadn't <laughs> lost when you could have done with 13 balls to go, but you hadn't won when you could have done. What was everybody feeling and how were you processing that? I think for a lot of people, it was probably... You know, it was going to be a hard game to win from the position we were in, and and obviously Trev got us into a massively strong position with that hundred, and her partnership with with Sophie Eccleston really got us back in the game. Catherine came on and bowled 
got those two wickets and, you know, bowled outstandingly the whole game. So I think, you know, we worked really hard to get back into the game. And then I think getting agonisingly short of actually winning and, and putting off this record chase, I think you kind of all perspective kind of gets lost in the moment. You think, oh, we're so close to winning. Like, how do we kind of let that opportunity slip? But I think probably kind of taking a few steps back, you can then reflect and say, wow, like how, what an effort to get that close. You know, it was such a slim chance. We were going to even get a result out of that game with the rain and then the chase. And then, you know, Oz were putting on big partnerships and all those kind of things. So I think, you know, looking back on it, we, we did, we put in such a big effort. And, you know, I think not playing four day cricket as well very much, it, it does kind of mentally take it out of you and physically take it out of you. So I think that kind of adds in an extra part as well. But I, I do think, you know, we were gutted to lose. We were just so close, but but we did so well to get into that position. So, yeah, it, it's so conflicting to know to know what to think. And, and, you know, it could have turned out in any different way. You know, if we would have lost, I'm sure we would have been devastated. And, and if we had won, it would have been probably like a, a World Cup winning celebration. So it's just, it's just so hard to know. But I think, you know, the fact that it, it's had such an impact on the game and, and on the people watching, I think, you know, that's it's a pretty, pretty good win in itself, I think. But, yeah, I... It would have been great to get the four points for sure, but I, I'm so proud of how the girls got out there and, and really gave it a go. Lastly, on the actual game, Crossy put something out about the conversation she had with Sophie Eccleston as she walked to the wicket, which was absolutely brilliant. And it, it sort of implied that, you know, Crossy was saying, right, so we've, we've got to save it. Save what? The, the game. We've got, <laughs> we got, we got to block. We've got to block. I mean, was, was that a bit of an exaggeration or was, was Sophie just, you know, thinking, are we still going for it? We're nine down. Should we have, have a dart? To be honest, I, I, yeah, I don't really know what, what, what happened there, but I think because it happened all so quickly, you know, even me sitting the dugout, you know, I turned around the next minute with three, when you got three wickets left, and I was like, oh God, like I didn't even, I wasn't even thinking about the wickets then. So I think it just kind of, it all just happened so quickly. So I think in the moment, obviously, you know, getting the draw was probably the, the best thing to do, but yeah, I, I, Probably to be honest, I could imagine that conversation happening. <laughs> but yeah, I think it was just it just happened so quickly that everyone just needs to be absolutely clear what was going on <laughs> before making any rash decisions. I mean, yeah, Crossy, what a great job to finish that off. <laughs> well, wasn't it? And it was, I mean, it was actually so weirdly similar to the men's test that was drawn, wasn't it? We got mm. leg, leg spirit on at the end, number 11, having to draw it. Now then, let's move on to what's left of the series. England's still in it. Ash is still very much up for grabs. And I guess, you know, you take the, the massive positive from that test match of seeing how rattled Australia were when the run chase was happening. Now, you're going into ODI cricket. You've just done a sort of 48-over chase. It's kind of like the perfect prep, isn't it? Yeah, 100%. I think, you know, there's so many positives that we can take out of that game um, from all aspects, bowling, batting. And I think, you know, going into these three games, you've got to believe that, that, that we can win all three and that we can, you know, we can win the Ashes back. And I think, you know, we're in, a, we're in a good place to do that, especially after the game. And I think even though we did, you know, fall short of what we thought we could have won, there's a lot of confidence going around. And, and I think we're, you know, we're just so proud that we got so close and, and that we believe we could do it. So, yeah, it'll be a great end to the series. And, you know, it was unlucky that we couldn't play those last two T20s because the rain, which is which is quite annoying, but now I've got an opportunity to do something really special. And yeah, so let's just see how it goes. And the next game is only, I mean, they come thick and fast. It's in two days' time, Thursday, and then you've got two more after that. And then mm-hmm. your winter kind of kickstarts again with the World Cup. So, I mean, this is, uh, this is a busy old winter, this, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's, inc- it's incredibly busy. 
but it's you know it's it's something we've been working towards for so long so it's it's really good to be able to get out here I think you know kind of the COVID stress before getting out here was was really hard um so to get out here to be playing cricket to, to put on a test match like that it, it it's incredibly special and and then to have the World Cup straight after this you know it's kind of what what dreams are made of growing up and, and playing cricket so yeah and yeah hopefully a very exciting finish to this Ashes which is already proved to be <laughs> quite exciting. Well, look, Sophia, I'm going to let you go because it's uh, you, you probably actually need rest and what have you, and, and I've got to try and get myself moving. Uh, it's been brilliant talking to you. Thanks so much for coming on. And really, honestly, it was incredible, that game. Incredible. Just so much fun. Thank you very much. Lovely to speak to you. Lovely to speak to you. Podcast Network.